Christmas struggles, Christmas difficulties, we have all had them. And we think, well, why on this time of year? Why wouldn't everything just go completely smooth? Why is, why is there any stress, any problems, any difficulty? Uh, Lindsay's great uncle passed away just a couple of days ago, and they went to the viewing last night in Greenbrier, and death still occurs Christmas time. People are still seriously sick. The hospitals are filled. The jails are filled. People's hearts are breaking. Uh, Much tears, many sorrows this time of the year. Sometimes this time of the year even brings about more sorrow. And we sing joy to the world. Because sometimes that, you think, rings hollow when people hear joy to the world. It doesn't seem to be a lot of joy. A lot of times there's more domestic calls on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. There's more family trouble and disputes and fights and the police have, are especially active. Peace on earth. Doesn't seem to be a lot of it around in a lot of people's lives. But you and I know the personification of joy. You and I know the one who is our peace. Now that doesn't translate into all the darkness and all the hopelessness, but he is the light of the world and he is the hope for the world. He does not force his way into any heart or any family or any people, but he is the Savior for the world. Amen? So what do we do in the face of such darkness and such sorrow and difficulty and struggle and stress? In small ways and in many ways that God gives us opportunity, we let that light shine through us. We demonstrate that we have experienced that peace, that we know the Lord, that His blood has covered us and washed us from our sins, has paid the sin debt. We demonstrate peace by being right with others. And when things are not right between us and others, as quickly as we can, we extend forgiveness and we receive forgiveness and we make things right because the Prince of Peace is our King. As we looked in the Luke just a moment ago, as Jason led us there, turn your attention back to the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to look in Luke chapter 1 for our time this morning. This birth, as Jason said, the most important event in humanity to this point still shapes most cultures in the world, it still has a primary part in how we think and how we view the world around us, although it's often shrouded in many other things such as greed and gifts and giving and all of that. It still refers back to this moment. It still had an indelible impact upon human history. And Jack, there's been nothing like it. Nothing like it. 
before our sense. But God was communicating to all of humankind before this point. Do you know there's a lot in the Old Testament about births? And all of the births in the Old Testament, as you read the accounts that are given, are pointing to this birth. I want to refer you back for just a moment as you hold your place there in Luke 1. And you don't have to turn there, but Matthew 1.16, you see the genealogy of Christ. And you see all of those who came before him in his line and in his lineage. And you see these generations, and it's so-and-so, and and many times you can't pronounce the name, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so. And And every once in a while you'll see one that's familiar, and you'll see David in that line. But it's begat, 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 begat. And it's the the verb that's used of, of gave birth to, and it is the offspring of. And then it comes to this verse 16, and it talks about Jesus of whom was born of Mary. The verb changes completely. There's something remarkable that is unlike any other birth, unlike any other human birth that has ever taken place. And God gave us a lot of advance information and a lot that should pique our interest. Think back to Genesis 4, and you don't have to turn there. Keep your place in Luke 1. We're going to get there in just a moment. I think back to Genesis 4, and the first one that was born was Cain. And we're familiar. The Bible tells us about him being born to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created, I believe, historically, that they were created just as the Bible tells us that they were by a divine act of the Creator. He created them And he breathed into Adam and into Eve the breath of life, and they became a living soul. But Cain was born. And then, after that, Abel was born, the Bible records for us. One, it seems, was born to sin. He he became a murderer. And the other, all we know about Abel, he was born to sacrifice and born to die at the hands of his own brother. Two boys, two births, two tracks, their life, the Bible records for us. And then a little later, Cain has killed his brother and he's gone away and Adam and Eve are left there. And it records for us another birth, the third birth that we know of. Genesis 4, verses 25 and 26, Seth. And then men begin to call upon the name of the Lord and it seems as if Seth ushered in a A time of men praying, born to pray, born to rightly relate to God, and a godly lineage begin to follow the line of Seth. Because Abel had been murdered by his own brother. Then in Genesis 5, 28 and 29, you see another birth that was very important. And a young boy was born, and his name was Noah. Which means comfort. What a comfort it was to spare his family and save his family and the line, the godly lineage while God judged the world and the flood. And then in Genesis chapter 20 verses 1 through 3 you see Isaac and you see his birth. It's a very important birth and he was one who was born of promise. 
Just as God had promised Abraham and Sarah, even though they were well stricken in age, can you imagine being a hundred years old and being a dad? Ladies, can you imagine being 90 years old and carrying a child? Unbelievable, miraculous. You, didn't, you just wouldn't think it could happen, but God did it. And Isaac was born, the son of promise. And remember, all of these births point to the one birth above all others. In Exodus chapter 2, we're also given the account of another birth of one very important. Verses 1 and 2 talks about the birth of Moses. And we remember the story there of Moses' birth and how God protected him. And Moses was born to deliver. A deliverer that God raised up and protected. And he was birthed and God watched over him. Another one is in 1 Samuel 1, verse 20. And it talks about Samuel being born. And there are special circumstances surrounding Samuel's birth. And you can look there. And I encourage you to take your children back to some of these special births in the Old Testament. Special ones that God was bringing into the world. That God was especially forming. That God had a special purpose and plan for their life. And Samuel was born to serve. Hear my Lord. Hear my Lord. And he served the Lord faithfully. Just His whole life was given to the Lord. His mom gave him to the service of the Lord because he was a miracle baby. You look at your children and you think about the births of your children and you even the even birth is a miraculous thing. I don't even care that much for dogs, but the birth of puppies is an amazing thing. We're we're captivated by it. It is amazing. It's astounding. And you think about how many ways that God uses in creation to speak of the mystery and wonder of giving birth. There are different ways that animals give birth. And it's, it's all mysterious and it's, and it's so captivating the way God designed birth. Did you know, this is kind of off the wall, Brian. Now correct me if I'm wrong, y'all have feral hogs down on your hunting lease, don't you? I heard that they can give birth at the age of six months. They can start having producing. They can have, what, 10 to 12 per litter, maybe even more? Now, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong. And they can give birth to two to three litters a year. Is that right? It's unbelievable how quickly those hogs can produce. They could just take, can you imagine that? Ladies just being continually pregnant with 10 to 12, 15, and just, man, just, you know, you're just, you're just producing. It's amazing. Think about some of the animals I like. I'm interested, you know, in how they protect their young, you know, and how the penguins watch over all of that. Whole, it's just an amazing, and God is communicating through His creation the mystery and the wonder and the awesomeness of our God. But all of the births of all the individuals in the Old Testament, all of those who were written down, and the myriad, millions of those who were not written down, and all of the animals of all of the animal kingdoms, kingdom of God's creation, all of the birth testify and speak to this birth, the wonder of Christ's birth. The last Old Testament birth that's given a great deal of attention to is actually found in the New Testament. 
He is the last Old Testament prophet, but he appears in the New Testament. Do you remember his name? John the Baptist. And he was the one that was the forerunner to point the way to Jesus. And his birth was miraculous. His birth was supernatural. His birth pointed to the fact that this was a special, providential, in the plan of God, this one who was born has an amazing purpose and plan, John the Baptist, to point to the one. And you can read about him, and I encourage you to read about John the Baptist, his birth, and all that surrounded that. He was born to prepare the way of the Lord. He was born to point the way to the Lord. And his name, John, means God is gracious. He was born to show the grace of God. And really in the same way, you and I have the exact same reason for being born than John did. To prepare the way of the Lord for others who don't know him. To point to the light of the world in the darkness that surrounds us and consumes most people's lives and to show others that God is gracious. Really, we're to be little John the Baptist and Joan the Baptist, I guess, if we want to put male and female. I don't know, Johnette. I don't know what the, what the, uh, the, the feminine gender would be. But look with me, if you would, in Luke chapter 1. You remember this was spoken by John the Baptist's father who had been stricken dumb by the angel of the Lord while he was fulfilling his priestly duties. After the angel had appeared to him, he could not speak. And he was not able to complete his priestly duties, which was a high honor for for a priest such as Zacharias, and, and for him to be able to do this was a once-in-a-lifetime honor, and he wasn't able to complete it. When he came out of being in the Holy of Holies, the priest was supposed to pronounce a benediction, extolling God, and he was not able to do it because he couldn't speak. So now, finally, his tongue has been loosened. And what comes out of his lips is what's been on pause and on hold for these months. And he gives this benediction that you and I are familiar with. Verse 67, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, spoke forth the truth of God, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. And it's raised up a horn of salvation for us. This word horn of salvation denotes the strength of God. He is almighty. He is all powerful. It refers to the more powerful the animal is, like a buck in the woods or an elk. The larger his horns are, the more he is respected and feared. That's what the horn of salvation refers to. The strength of our God, his ability to save. As he spake, verse 70, by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. This has been communicated from the very beginning of human history. All of the prophets have foretold it. All of the births have pointed to it. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. 
Verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. And this is referring to the Abrahamic covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. I have that underlined in my Bible. God Grant me the strength and grace to serve you righteousness and holiness all the days of my life. That's why Jesus came. Not just to get us to heaven, but that we might serve him all the days that he gives us of our life here. And thou, child, and now he's pointing to John in utero, or as he is born, and he is... And even John the Baptist was excited about the, 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 to hear that Jesus was in Mary's womb and he was filled with the Spirit and, and leaped in his mother's womb. And now Zacharias directs his thoughts toward his son John, and thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Look at verse 77 to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission or the payment of their sins through the tender mercy of our God. And none of us here forget that this is our namesake verse. This is where we drew our name. This is a reference, of course, to the sun rising, dispelling the dawn of uh, the darkness of night. It is the dawn breaking. It is the day spring. And Jesus is represented here. The light is much more powerful than darkness. Darkness has to flee when light appears. Darkness cannot fight light. It can only dissipate and flee. Which is stronger? Sometimes it seems like the darkness is stronger. It seems like it's all around us. It's suffocating us. It's encroaching upon us continually. But the light is stronger than the dark. Always has been, always will be. Naturally and supernaturally or spiritually. And the day spring from on high hath visited us. Do you see that word? Has visited us? He mentions it at the beginning in verse 68, and then at the very end of his blessing, he mentions it again. again. To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now let me give you three things that I want us to look at this morning. First of all, John the Baptist and what his dad described here in his blessing to God and the benediction, the priestly benediction that he would have given before, but was mute and was not able to speak. His message, and then his assignment, and then his responsibility. His message, look in verse 70, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. This is the same message. John the Baptist was a prophet along the line of all the Old Testament prophets who were pointing to Christ, who were preparing the way for Christ to come. And John the Baptist, that was his message. And of course, he preached what? Repent. Get your hearts right. 
Realize that you're sinful and you're in need of a Savior. That's the most important component in being able to receive salvation is knowing that you need to be saved. There's so many people who reject Jesus because they think they're good enough already. They think that surely God's going to allow them into heaven. They don't need to bow and to say, Lord, I give you my life. Lord, I surrender my life to you. I desire to live for you because you died to pay the price of my sins. They don't see themselves as sinners. And therefore, they forfeit their own salvation because of their selfish pride. It's a timeless message. Since the world began, since the fall of man, the Savior is coming. Man is sin- sinful, but the Savior is coming. We're all sinners. From the first one, Cain, who murdered his brother, all of us have fallen into the darkness of sin. It's captured our own heart, our own selfishness, our own greed, our own lust, our own selfish desires. It is a part of all of our lives. And it has been since the very beginning when Adam and Eve fell and disobeyed God since the world began. But since that time, God has said, you can't fix this. You can't make this right. You can't do anything, no matter how well-intended, no matter how well-meaning, no matter how good it may be, you can't do anything to fix what's wrong with you, God, in essence, was saying to man. But I can. I'm going to send a Savior. It's a timeless message. It's a continuous message. His holy prophets. Just unbroken, continual succession of prophets. Almost unbroken. God would raise up to speak to sinful men and to represent in all of these births that I gave you in the Old Testament in their own way, in some particular way pointed to Jesus but they were all saying the same message they were all pointing they were not the deliverer Moses was not the ultimate deliverer he delivered God's people out of the slavery in Egypt but he was pointing ultimately to the only one who could deliver us from the slavery of sin in the Egypt of the world and so all of them were pointing to the one and the only one that could redeem and save And not only was it a timeless message and a continuous message, it was an unchanging message. Look in verse 71. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant. Salvation is from our merciful God. Always has been, always will be. It's unchanging. It results in serving Him in holiness and righteousness, verses 74 and 75. God changing us, God redeeming us, God saving us from ourselves and our sin has always resulted not only in, thank you God for forgiving me of my sins, but also when that happens to say, all right, Lord, by your grace and by your mercy, I'm so undeserving. You've saved me. Now, Lord, How can I serve you? I desire to serve you all the days of my life. You read through the history of humanity as seen through the grid of Scripture, and that is always the case with those who are truly His. It's not that His own do not 
have struggles and doubts and fears, even times of despair, even lapses into sinful behavior. But there's always repentance and forgiveness and renewal and revival and a restoration of their relationship with God. These are characteristics that mark those who truly have received his salvation. Now his assignment. Look in verse 76. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. To prepare the way of the Lord. In Luke chapter 3, you see John as he got up in age and he began to complete his assignment, begin to fulfill his assignment, live out his assignment. By the way, you and I have been saved and we've been given an assignment. Are you living out your assignment? How are you living out your assignment? God didn't save us just to get us into heaven or just because we would look good in his quote-unquote bouquet. God's picking a bouquet, and so we're all just... That's not what God's doing. God has an assignment for us. God has a purpose for us to live out our days here. He is interwoven by His wisdom and by His, by His might, your life and my life, into His purposes and plans. Do you ever feel insignificant? Do you ever feel what you do really doesn't count for much? Well, in a very real sense, we are pretty insignificant. A lot of what we do seems to count for very little, if at all. That's pretty depressing, isn't it? Do you know that as important as you are to yourself, and as important as you think you are to others who are around you, that just a couple of generations from now, your great-grandchildren will hardly think of you at all? They'll hardly know nothing about you and your life and what you did and how hard you... That's kind of depressing, isn't it? But you know, it's absolutely true. Unless someone tells them, unless someone shows them pictures. And then they're living life. They could care less about great, great, great Grandma Rita. I mean, she was an amazing woman in her time, but she's been dead for years. What difference does that make to me? Isn't that, isn't that sad, but that's the way it is. But in the scheme of God's wonderful plan, even the seemingly very short and insignificance of our lives are woven into His grand eternal plan. I don't know how all that's going to work, but I know that one day it's going to give honor and glory to our King as He reveals to us how we were a part of His plan. What a privilege to be a small part of what he's doing, of the whole of human history that have followed him that's bringing him glory. Well, I get to thinking about that. It excites me. John chapter 3, verse 3 says, And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Excuse me, Luke chapter 3, verse 3. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. That's Isaiah 40, verses 3 and 5. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. What's that? That's road work. That's... 
cutting down the mountain so you don't have to climb up so high. That's filling up the valley so you don't have to go down so deep. That is what they would do when a king was going into a different part of the world. They would send advanced road crews with lots of orange barrels. No, I don't think they had orange barrels back then. But when a king was making his way to a different part of the world, they would have mostly slaves at work and they would be preparing the road to make it as smooth as possible, to make it as easy as possible for this great king, this royal one, to go from one point to the other point. And that's exactly what John's assignment was, to make a highway for our king. The crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways shall be made smooth. Why? Because all flesh needs to see the salvation of God. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. Well, in the story of John's birth and the story of Jesus' birth, there are things that you see all throughout the history of the birth of Jesus. One thing that stands out to me is the sovereignty of our God. He was working out all things according to His plan. There was nothing that was not absolutely planned. Every detail. You know when the president goes to another country and another part of the world, there are advanced details that go before him. There are people that are vetted. Everybody that could possibly come in contact with him supposed to be vetted. Every place is checked out. Every de- The president just doesn't say, hey, Hey, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go over to uh, to China. Well, when you want to do it? Well, I think I'll leave today. Doesn't happen. It takes months and months of it planning and work and organization and advance work. When our King came to His world that He created, there was not a detail that was not planned out well in advance. The sovereignty of our God. By the way, isn't it amazing to think? I read of this today, that the one who is larger than the whole universe, in fact, holds the universe in his hands, was lying in a manger. Bigger than all we can imagine, yet lying in a manger. The sovereignty of our God, the adversity in the Christmas story. There's always been hostility and adversity to Christ and to the gospel. And it'll always be that way until the Lord puts down under his feet all who oppose him and stand against him. I see humility all in the story of those who were, who were humbling themselves. I see humble circumstances. I see the shepherds, as Jason mentioned. I see God appearing to them. I, I see Mary and Joseph and their humble circumstances and their grueling journey. And you see the place where Jesus was born. It's just, there's humility all throughout the coming of our King. Sovereignty, adversity, humility. And then there's another thing that is just covers all of that and it is joy. There is worship, there is joy, there is celebration. I see all of creation involved in the birth of Christ. I see the heavens involved and the stars involved. I see the angels, created beings, they're involved. I see the animals involved. I see all of creation anticipating and awaiting His birth and they're all involved in this moment. The pathway for the king. 
you and I are called as God works sovereignly in our life and even as we deal with adversity and struggle and difficulty and hardship we're to respond and live humbly what does God require of us to do justice and to walk humbly before our God to live in humility to worship the king to take joy in our king, not in the world around us, not in our circumstances, but to take joy in our king. Do you know, in the same way that this was a pathway for our king, in your life and my life, it's still the pathway for our king. How do we display Christ the best? How do we show forth the light of the world? How do we let others know that he is the prince of peace? He is the Lord of glory. He is a savior born for us. In the same way that John the Baptist was called to and in the same way that you see in everything that surrounds the birth of Christ, it's still the same way for you and I. We have the same message. We have the same assignment. Trust in the sovereignty of God. He's directing our lives. He loves you. You're a part. If He's saved, you're a part of what God's doing. Live humbly. Walk humbly. Serve others. Worship the Lord, live with joy, deal with adversity by trusting our God. He's merciful and He's gracious. You read in Luke 3, and we're not going to go there and, 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 and turn there, but you can read for yourself in Luke 10 and 12 and 14. When John was living out his message, preparing the way for the Lord, pointing to the Lord, calling others to be ready for the Lord to come. Do you know what you see three times the response of those who saw John, saw his life, they heard his message? Do you know three times what they said, different groups of people? What shall we do? What do I need to do to respond to the king? Wouldn't it be great if we lived our lives in such a way, trusting the sovereignty of God, dealing well as God gives us grace and as God's merciful with adversity and difficulty and struggle, still having the joy of the Lord in spite of what we might deal with, living in humility. Wouldn't it be great as we pointed others to Christ with our lives, with our marriages, with our singleness, with our difficulties, with our struggles, with our blessings, and whatever it is, we point the way to the King. Wouldn't it be great if people would begin to ask when they see our lives, what do I need to do to know this King that you know? What do I need to do to have this peace that is so evident in your life? What do I need to do to experience this joy that you have? It's not just a giddiness or a hilarity, but it is a confidence that gives us stability and guidance and sees us through when all around us is giving way. Where do I, where do I get that? What do I need to do? His responsibility, lastly, in verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. John's responsibility is my responsibility and your responsibility. I can't save anyone. John couldn't save anyone. All we can do is live such a life to live the message out and to speak the message as God gives us opportunity 
that people have the knowledge that they need for God then begin to turn their heart. How shall they know unless they hear? How are they going to have faith in Christ unless someone gives them the knowledge that Christ was born for them? That he died to pay the price for their sins, the payment, the remittance. They owe a sin debt. They cannot pay. Christ is the only one that paid the sin debt, canceled the sin debt, and is alive and lives forevermore. To give knowledge of salvation, verse 79, to give light that guides our feet. What happens when God says he gives light? And then he gives the guidance and direction that people need to follow him. You and I can't give that. All we can do is give the knowledge. Prepare the way for the Lord to work. Live in such a way that it piques their interest. What shall I do? And then when they have the knowledge, when they've seen it lived out, they see credible evidence of, of Christ being alive and being the Savior in your life and my life. Then God graciously saves some of them. He gives them light and he guides their feet. Don't you want that for those that you know who are living now in darkness and in the shadow of death? How many people do we work with? How many people do we know? How many people who are in our families, they are living in the shadow of death? Literally what that means is if you were about to kill someone with a sword and you could see if you looked over the shadow of that sword hanging over you. Death is about to drop on every living person. The shadow of death is about to become a reality. And death's curtain is about to fall upon every life, whether they're ready or not. And they're in darkness and they don't even know. They can't see that shadow of death because there's no light. You and I have to give the knowledge that points them to the light that they can perhaps see that they're in the shadow of death. And in reality, they're in the darkness so they can come to the light. And so God then again can begin to guide their feet into the way of peace. Oh, what a beautiful picture described for us of God's mercy and grace and how we're to prepare the way for the King to work in others' lives. Amen? That's what the birth of Jesus is all about. It's not just in singing the songs that we love. It's not just in the family and enjoying the time. It is in remembering that you and I have been called, just like John did, to prepare the way of the Lord. Why? Because as Zacharias says in the first part of his blessing and in the very last, God has visited us. If that is true, if God indeed has visited us, then there ought to be an incredible change in us. And it ought to be news that we want to let everyone know. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts and that we would be in awe and wonder, filled with joy for the fact that you have visited us, Emmanuel. God with us. Lord, as the prophets of the Old Testament and as John the Baptist, and Lord, as 
every one of those whom you've loved and saved and called have an assignment to prepare the way of the Lord. May we take our assignment very seriously. May we go forth from this place today, young and old, and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. God has visited us. Oh, Lord, help me to live in righteousness and holiness all the days of my life. Help me to prepare the way for the King so those who are in darkness may see the light of our Savior. In Jesus' name.